I told him, I mean, that's basic Tanya. What you're describing is basic Tanya. Tanya says you have to distinguish between your emotions and your behaviors. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared to accept the fact that on an emotional level, we've got a lot of garbage going on. I mean, the way he talks about it in Tanya is you have two souls. You have a godly soul, which only has a pure, uh, holy drive. And you have an animal soul, which isn't evil, but in justifying its survival, it could do a lot of, you know, unwholesome things. Um, and, and so you have these two drives. And because you have these two drives, you know, from that animal drive, they're going to surface all types of emotions, anger and lust and jealousy. And, you know, to be all bent out of shape. Oh, no, I'm having these emotions. It's just not productive. Yeah. So the Al-Fadab in Tanya says, acknowledge the emotion. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what you have. It's, it's your animal soul. It's your animal drive. Now, so, use free choice. Choose a behavior that, that, that suits you better. There are many languages today explaining how to recognize ego-driven behaviors, for example, compared with more wholesome behaviors. There's wisdom from ancient traditions and nations, and now even contemporary languages to help individuals understand reality and to align their thoughts, feelings, and actions in a wholesome way. One book of the Jewish background is called The Tanya by Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the founder of the Chabad movement. First published in 1795, this work highlights some topics like how to, how to distinguish emotions and behaviors, wholesome drives versus unwholesome drives, and ultimately free choice in how to deal with emotions. Spoiler alert, by acknowledging them and choosing a different behavior. Perhaps no better living guest to speak on this subject than my guest today, Rabbi Shays Taub, who has several groundbreaking works on the Tanya, including the Tanya Map Teaching Tool, the Soul Maps Curriculum, and the audio series, Mapping the Tanya. Rabbi Shays Taub has also delivered Torah lectures and classes to audiences on six continents. He writes a popular weekly column in the Ami magazine and is the author of the best-selling book, God of Our Understanding, Jewish Spirituality and Recovery from Addiction. His company, soulwords.org, is a video site featuring classes and lectures from Rabbi Shays Taub himself on a variety of Jewish subjects meant to educate and inspire. To check out more about Rabbi Shays Taub, head over to www.soulwords.org or on Instagram at Rabbi underscore Shays, S-H-A-I-S underscore Taub, T-A-U-B. If you haven't yet, please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to SolomonEzra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Berezin to learn more. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel Solomon Berezin to get updates on new videos and podcasts. And finally, you can financially support my podcast by heading to anchor.fm slash Solomon dash Ezra dash Berezin slash support. That'll be greatly appreciated. Now onto the show with Rabbi Shays Taub. Hello, Rabbi Shays Taub. How are you doing? Today? Hi, Baruch Hashem. I'm doing so well. Wow. It's good to finally be on the Zoom with you. We had some uh, we had uh, some setbacks, but we yeah. made it. We're here. We're here, and that's the now is the best time. Now is always the best time. I'd I'd love to uh, to get started. I'd love to hear a little bit about your your background and what led into becoming 
you know, the, the rabbi you are today and writing the couple of books that you've done and the awesome Tanya map that you have. I'd love to, to start That's with the, map the, back, the background, by yeah. the way. Cool, cool. Some people hear it, they don't, what's a Tanya map? That color-coded thing back there. Yeah. Okay, so long story short, here's the 92nd um, biography. So my father, may he be well, is a psychologist. I grew up around that. I grew up around an awareness of helping people and trying to understand people and that kind of thing. And uh, I rebelled and became a rabbi. So, um, but as much as I've never formally studied any of that stuff, and I make it very clear to people, my background is not in mental health. That's not how I was trained. My background is rabbinics. That, that is my formal training. But obviously I'm very influenced by how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've always sort of gravitated toward the, the human insights that we find in Torah, especially in the Hasidic teachings and what they teach us about how people work and you know what makes us tick and why we are the way that we are and you know how we can how we can best fit ourselves for for maximum service and that kind of stuff so that's that's what is interesting to me in my own life yeah and then as an extension of that i like try to share it with others if it if it works for them great you know i, I I'll, I'll put it this way it's not like i'm trying to uh, offer any particular services to anybody my interest in life is to learn as much as I can from the Torah and apply it to myself as best I can. And whatever I insights I have that I think work for me, I like to sure. share them with others. And, and if they work for you, they work for you. That's basically it. Okay, I think that was more than 90 seconds, but there you go. How did, uh, how did you come across growing up, if your father was more in the um, mental health and psychology space, how did you first learn about um, like the... Torah, Judaism, and Hasidic sect that right. began to kind of answer your own personal questions. So, you know, growing up, it's interesting, you know, I have a picture that my parents showed me of myself when I was five years old. And I had a little model Torah scroll that we got in synagogue and Simchas Torah, you know, when you dance around with the Torah, you finish the Torah once a year. And so every kid got one of these little ones and I had mine and I don't remember it so well, except the picture reminds me that I, I built a little arc out of a tissue paper box and I put it in my closet and I took the little Torah scroll and I put it in the little tissue paper box in the closet. And I, I used to play when I was like four or five years old, I used to play rabbi. So, <laughs> so looking back, even though if you would have asked me, kids are playing, you know, um, cowboys and Indians. But yeah. Or astronaut. I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about playing rabbi. Yeah. So if you would have asked me when I was, you know, 15, are you going to be a rabbi when you grow up? I'd say, no, that's no way. It's, yeah. And I also wouldn't say I'm going to be a psychologist like my father. I would, I don't know what I would say. I don't know. But apparently, you know, that was something that, I was on the path for since I was a, a little kid. And I always grew up, you know, with, with, you know, Judaic values in the home was always very, very important. Um, I didn't see myself as doing it professionally or like, uh, 
whatever. That was just, it was like a, a given, you know, Judaic values was like, you know, Friday night, you sit at the Shabbos dinner and what do you talk about? Politics and a little bit of Torah portion. And, uh, you know, like it was a given. It wasn't like something that I, I took seriously as like a, a field of scholarship. When I got older, um, I got turned on to Tanya, the book of Tanya. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like 20 years old. And I realized, wow, this stuff is really, you know, complex and deep. This is, this is serious stuff. And was that the first time in which you first kind of got introduced to that stuff or you were thinking about it? And then when you started learning about the Tanya, it kind of uh, spoke to you in that, oh, it's answering questions that you'd had before. Well, like I said, I'd always been, you know, kind of fascinated by what makes people tick. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not just because my father's a psychologist, but I think also my whole life I've sort of, and I think other people can relate to this, um, certain types of people can relate to this. My whole life I kind of felt in a, to a certain extent like an observer. Um, like I didn't truly understand what is going on. So because of that, I had to become like a real student mm-hmm. of life. Like, trying to figure it out. Like, what are these things that everyone else is just experiencing that I'm, you know, I feel like I'm missing a piece, right? So um, I always sort of like was trying to figure out, you know, why are things the way they are? Um, You know, I guess you can call that philosophy, Uh, but you know, I I didn't call it anything. I just, that was my, that was my, I didn't do it because it was interesting. I, I, I did it because that's, you know, that was like survival, like just trying to figure out why are things the way they are? Because I, I think I assumed that a lot of things were intuitive to people that were not intuitive, but then there were a lot of things that are intuitive that I was clueless about. <laughs> so <laughs> the combination of those two um, uh, suppositions basically combined to me being like highly motivated to figure out a bunch of stuff that I was sure everybody else understood, but then I found out they didn't understand either. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of this, this great quote I, I heard the other day. It's like, uh, no, uh, like simple to you, amazing to others. It's oh, like yeah. stuff that we think, you know, it's like, you know, everybody knows that. But when you right. hear it, it's like, you know, you never know how, it, how amazing it may be to someone. I have this experience all the time. People call me up and, 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 and like, I don't even want to answer them. Cause like, what am I going to tell you? I'm just, I have nothing to tell you. And, and, and then I tell them and they're like, wow, that was very insightful. And, and they, no, the only, too humble. well, the only conclusion I can come to, no, I mean, obviously people value my, my, my uh, perspective. So, but I, I've, I've, I've thought about that. Like, why is this perspective so amazing to them? And I, and I realized, you know, what all, all that it is, I, I said before, I don't see things the same way that most people see things. I'm not saying it's any better. I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm not saying I'm particularly insightful. I just think I have a different way of seeing things. So that when people hear it, they're like, oh, wow, that's, that's new. So it, it may not necessarily be so profound, but it's new. <laughs> Got that going for it. So I realized that people enjoy hearing the way I look at things. 
And for me, it's just like, that's the way, of course, that, that's, yeah. that's a normal thing. But for them, it's like, wow, that was, that was a newsflash. So, so I'd whatever. Love, I'd love to even dive into a little bit of that. And as you brought up uh, the Tanya, and the Tanya, for anybody that's not familiar, is kind of like a, a not a rule book, but like a, a help guide for Jews. And it helps understand, you know, the different ego and uh, the godly soul and the animal soul, as it's called. But um, my introduction. I first got into a kind of meditation and practicing that, and that helped me break, um, you know, different habits and get over different limiting beliefs. And then as I started learning the Tanya, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's like a whole nother um, language using, mm. the, using the Alter Rebbe's language that's explaining stuff that I uh, already kind of understood. So mm -hmm. I'd love to even dive into and how, it, how you cultivated, you know, the certain perspective that you have. And we each have a unique perspective, but, you know, people appreciate yours. How did you begin to kind of actualize the stuff that you learn in the Tanya? Mm -hmm. Because the Alter Rebbe so far, I'm in, you know, chapter 29, uh, first time going through. He talks about meditation so far, and perhaps I just haven't read all the way through it, but he's not explaining yet, you know, what the process of in meditation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the technique uh to like what that is wow wow okay wow you just that's that's a lot there that's a lot there what you all just right. said okay no it's good okay so first of all i just want to um agree to something that you said mm -hmm. you describe tanya as a language i love that uh tanya is a language um tanya is a way of understanding reality yeah. so you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that you say your experience was there were certain truths you were aware of already. Mm -hmm. And then you, when you, you saw them articulated in Tanya, you were taken with, you know, how that truth was formulated or represented. But you were like, that's a truth I already know. So that doesn't surprise me at all that that was your experience. Uh, I think all real truth is, is, is like that anyway, because I think we intuitively sense the truth. And the genius is in, you know, how to give it the proper words. Yeah. So, and in fact, the Alter Rebbe himself doesn't even call himself the author of Tanya. He calls himself the compiler. He said, I just arranged it. You know, <laughs> I just yeah, arranged it. He says that in the introduction, doesn't he? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. I just, I just put it, look, I didn't grow the flowers. I just, I'm the florist who makes the bouquet. That's it. You know, he doesn't use that metaphor, but. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're asking about, you know, how I got my, my view on Tanya. So I'll tell you something. It's similar to what I told you already about, you know, I just, I guess I have a different way of looking at things and I'm not trying to be novel. I'm not trying to be out of the box. I'm really, am not. Yeah. Um, I studied Tanya. I mean, there are many, many commentaries on Tanya. Uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe <clears throat> spoke many, many talks explaining Tanya. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to be studied. So I studied all that stuff. I'm not going to pretend I studied everything there is to be studied on Tanya, but I definitely spent thousands of hours, um, you know, learning Tanya and, and, and commentaries and whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, I just reported what I found. And people reacted to it like, oh, wow, that's so novel. Well, first of all, I hope I'm not being novel because 
Um, you know, I, I, I just said a few minutes ago that yeah, real yeah. truth, truth is old. What you, I think you're mainly life. doing is just showing familiar places in new ways. I, and, 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 you know, to speak about, again about language, I think all that I've done is I might have a different language for talking about these ideas. And that's what people are, you know, sometimes you talk about an idea and people are burnt out on words, certain words like today in political discourse, for instance, I'll just use that as an example, because things are so polarized. You can't have an intelligent discussion of, of, of issues of policy today. And most of it is because people are burnt out on the word. So by the time you use a word, you use a word, um, you know, a term, and that term already is so loaded and it, 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 it is so emotionally triggering. Yes. There's no way to have an intelligent discussion about it. But imagine all of a sudden you have a discussion about the same policy issues and you don't use any of the words that the pundits use. You don't use any of the talking points. You're talking about the same idea, but you use a completely different set of words for it. And now all of a sudden people feel, oh, wow, this is new. No, actually, it's not new. It's the same thing you were already tired of hearing about. <laughs> but we took a side door into your brain by using new language. Yeah. So I, I think that's all I did for Tanya is I rearticulated some ideas. In a, in a... I'd love to dive into that because what's, how did you really kind of actualize it? And I mean, in like, like I brought up with the meditation, because in, in the practice of, you know, meditation, I can kind of get into a, a state of letting go where my brain, because I'm out of the way, begins to make connections on its own. And so mm. when, I, when I talk to different kind of um, fellow, you know, individuals my own age, the or even older, and, and like you were sharing, it's not about having a better perspective or anything. It's just about how do you help somebody personalize the mm. information that's in the Tanya? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or like we, like you, like we also said, it's, it's in a language. So, you know, mm -hmm. now we have science as, as a language that's being be, yeah. beginning to explain uh, what, what's going on with, um, you know, transformation with uh, meditation, with breaking a habit, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, last week, I had a conversation with um, Tal Ben Shahar, who is the professor at Harvard who gave the class on happiness. Well, I think the most popular class at Harvard. And he wrote a, you know, a number of best-selling books on happiness. And um, he comes at it from a psychological perspective and a neurological perspective. And then you know, obviously that's not my background. I'm coming at it from a spiritual perspective. And we found so much common ground in our conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, we found so many things that both of us were saying and nodding our heads and saying, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh yeah. You say that too. Right. Um, and the only difference was language, right? Like we were saying the same ideas. We just had different, words or examples for bringing them out. Um, but, I, you know, since you're asking about making Tanya practical, <clears throat> I'll give you an example of something, uh, you know, something that we that we spoke about. Um, is that like uh, regifting if you use a previous podcast to fill up content on another podcast? 
if I if I talk tell you what I spoke about with him on his podcast on your podcast is that like okay anyways I'm just being spontaneous is what I thought of I won't I won't filter okay anyways <laughs> a podcast about podcasts anyway so I'll tell you one of the, I'll tell you one of the interesting things we discussed um, he said that you know one of the keys to happiness is accepting your nature and that part of human nature is that we have emotions that we're you know not necessarily so proud of but you have to first accept them yeah and then after you've accepted them you can make behavioral choices even in spite of them but if you're busy being so appalled with yourself, why am I having this emotion? Then you don't even get to the point where you can make a behavioral choice that is higher than that emotion. So I told him, I mean, that's basic Tanya. What you're describing is basic Tanya. Tanya says you have to distinguish between your emotions and your behaviors. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared to accept the fact that on an emotional level, mm -hmm. We've got a lot of garbage going on. I mean, the way he talks about it in Tanya is you have two souls. You have a godly soul, which only has a pure, uh, holy drive. And you have an animal soul, which isn't evil, but in justifying its survival, it could do a lot of, you know, unwholesome things. Um, and, and so you have these two drives. And because you have these two drives, you know, from that animal drive, they're going to surface all types of emotions anger and lust and jealousy and you know to be all bent out of shape oh no i'm having these emotions it's just not productive yeah. so the alphabet and tanya says acknowledge the emotion okay mm -hmm. that's what you have it's, it's your animal soul it's your animal drive now so, use free choice choose a behavior that, that that suits you better yeah so the the reason why i wanted to talk a lot about meditation though is okay is um and then also even introducing a little bit about the like topic of like addiction and breaking habits is mm. someone first has to begin to have that awareness of what this certain to differentiate the two uh voices because some sometimes at least at, at first it doesn't even nobody recognizes that there's that there's a pause between thinking they're just constantly thinking you know i often hear you know being a, a meditation and mindfulness slash health coach uh you know somebody often says i i just can't turn off my brain mm -hmm. so that's that i'm really interested in is so far i've learned with the tanya there's he, he, he references that meditation and then that process, like you were just talking about, you know, acknowledging mm -hmm. it, choosing otherwise, but there's still that seems the missing step of, first of all, noticing, you know, mm -hmm. what is the animal drive or, or not. Right, right. Okay. So I'll tell you something interesting about uh, the Tanya view. And let's see if this resonates with the truth as you already understand it. Mm -hmm. The Rebbe classifies thought as a behavior. There's impulse for thought, 
right? Mm -hmm. The where you think of something which we can't really control, right? We can't control it, even if we try to. Like, don't think of an elephant on roller skates. You lost. We can't control what we think of, but we can control what we think about. We can control what we think about. When you say think of, meaning like what pops in your head arises. Yeah, it just arises, and there's really no way to. And and we have intrusive thoughts all the time. Mm There's nothing dysfunctional about intrusive thoughts. What's dysfunct- the dysfunction is when a person becomes obsessed with the fact that the thoughts are intrusive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a person drives down the highway, of course it pops in your head. What would happen if I turn the wheel and go flying off the side of the road, right? That kind of thought pops into your head. Oh, don't get all normal on me. I'm sure you've had that thought, right? Or you're standing, you know, you're standing on a, in, in an office building in a high window, and you're like, "What would happen if I jumped out?" Now, it's not suicidal ideation. It's not like you're actually looking to yeah. jump out. You're just thinking, "What would happen if I jump out?" Right? Okay. All right. No, I had, oh. I had, I, I, I did a ten-day meditation, silent meditation retreat, so I definitely had a, a bunch of thoughts like that that are right. Okay. <laughs> right. So crazy things pop in our head all the time, and now sometimes those things are just plain silly. Other times they're they're immoral or unwholesome, and I'm going to use the term immoral. Although you know that my my understanding of morality may be different from from listeners, and I'm asking them not to get hung up on that because I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I'm saying it purely in an informative way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't want to get into a discussion about what you consider to be immoral or or, or not, but. Let's say a thought that you consider to be immoral, all right? Whatever it is, throwing your grandmother down the stairs, you know, I would assume that we would all agree. Although I don't want to judge, you know, maybe that's what you're into. Anyways, let's say a thought pops up that you find immoral. So the question is, you know, what what do you do about that? So the the, the answer is, what do you do about it? Do nothing. Mm -hmm. You don't choose what pops up in your brain. Now, once it pops up in your brain, you can choose whether or not to meditate on it. And you say, meditate, I don't meditate. I'm not sitting on the floor humming or meditation happens all the time. You're sitting in the car and you don't even realize what street signs you're seeing because you're thinking about what's going to happen at the meeting that you're driving to. That's called meditation. Meditation is any focused thought. Now, there are different ways of meditating, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we only define meditation as a very specific meditative practice. Mm-hmm. I think meditation is any type of focused thinking and not even productive folks focused thinking. Cause I think it's important to realize that we have a lot of meditations we do that are destructive. Just like letting the mind wander. Or, or wandering until you find a nice juicy resentment and then focusing on that resentment until you're so mad that you could kill. Now, the person that you, you could kill, you haven't seen them in 10 years, right? But you're focused so much on the memory of the injustice and of the hurt that your experience of it is so vivid, right, that you're having a physiological reaction. Yeah. And that, that's a meditation. That's a very the, powerful The meditation. body doesn't know the difference between the, the body doesn't know the difference, yeah. right? And, and, and that's a powerful meditation. So you're meditating already. We're all meditating already. The, the question becomes, what are we going to choose to meditate on? So this comes back to the point of, I can't choose what I think of, 
but I can choose what I think about. Okay. And even after I've chosen what to think about, let's say I want to think about something healing. I want to think about how everything in the universe is connected and it's all one and there's nothing meaningless. Everything, everything has meaning and everything is significant and, and the infinity of, of, of the universe doesn't just mean that nothing is too big for the universe. It means also nothing is too small for the universe and there's nothing meaningless. You know, let's say that's my meditation, right? And that's what I choose to think about. While I'm thinking about that, I may be interrupted repeatedly by things I want to think of. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, I like and I just, I let that roll by and I can go back to the thing I want to think about. And just like that resentment meditation where it actually ended up affecting me viscerally, I can meditate myself into through a wholesome meditation, also into a, having a physiological effect. I can meditate myself into a relaxed state just as well as I can meditate myself, myself into a, you know, a, into a, a state of, of stress. Mm -hmm. it, it, it definitely seems, I, I like the way you explained it. It's like a, another way of seeing meditation or explaining meditation. It definitely seems like it's more of just, it's a tool to help build um, the awareness of that, that you ha we have the ability of controlling what we think about, not of the thoughts that come into the head. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kind of to transition a little bit, um, as you write in the book, and then I also have been reading this uh, short book about Maimonides, he says, you know, there's, uh, it doesn't matter where truth comes from, as so long as it's truth. Mm -hmm. And science is like um, there's this great doctor and author I, I listen to and follow his meditations and he uses science as a language to honestly explain a lot of what the Tanya is doing and explain what goes on meditation and how to break habits and, and let go of different beliefs and change uh, perspectives and all that goes into that. However, one thing that stuck out to me in my own journey and uh, reading your book a little bit um, is wisdom compared with Torah. Could you, mm -hmm. touch, could you kind of dive a little further into that? And mm -hmm. like, it's, it's um, very fascinating to me, kind of putting my thoughts together, but other religions or backgrounds, I, I hesitate saying religion because I don't really think Judaism is a religion, although it's- I agree with you. I agree that Judaism is not a religion. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, other um, but I can't say that because people misunderstand it. Yeah. So pretend we didn't say it. Yeah. But still, like when I would go to um, a meditation retreat, you know, other, uh, you know, you have conversations with other individuals and they have their own teachers who were, you know, relatively similar to Moses and that they channeled a, a high uh, book uh, about, you know, whatever, higher worlds and it's this reality. But the Torah is um what's not a book it's five books it's the whole scroll can, can you touch on wisdom compared with torah wisdom mm -hmm. and and why we why it is different than like wisdom we may hear and learn about from other mm -hmm. um cultures or backgrounds mm -hmm. sure sure okay so um, I guess the first thing I would say is that 
there's an easy way of answering this question. There's a hard way. So I'm going to start with the easy way. And I'm acknowledging that I'm taking the easy way and that I'm, um, you know, I'm not doing a, uh, this is not a uh, tactic where I'm trying to, you know, squirm out of the question. I'm being transparent about it. The easy way is to say, well, I don't have to answer the claim whether or not Judaism or Torah is unique. I can choose to take your question as, um, does it have a unique role for Jews? That's how I could choose to take the question that, and turn it into a more softball question. And the, the answer would be that if you are Jewish, which means not just that you have an affinity for Jewish ideology, because there are plenty of Jews who don't even like Jewish ideology. <laughs> they, they don't practice Judaism. They don't like Judaism, right? But if you have a Jewish soul, uh, then your soul is going to be compatible with a Jewish spiritual path. So the softball answer to the question is, <clears throat> you know what? It doesn't matter what's to be found in other faith traditions. If you're Jewish, go to your faith tradition. And if you're not finding it compelling, it's probably that it hasn't been presented properly to you. And with the advent of the internet, you know, when I was your age, I sound really old now when I was your age, but the world has changed so fast that it's, I can actually say when I was your age, if you wanted to become educated about Judaism, it was not that easy. Like you'd have to get up and go somewhere, maybe get on a plane, right? And today you just go online and you can learn anything you want and become pretty educated. Now, you could also get a lot of misinformation and disinformation, so you have to be careful, but yeah. Um, I would say if you're Jewish, educate yourself about your faith tradition because Torah is going to have something that you will not find anywhere else for you, yeah. for you. That's the softball question, the softball version of the question. Hey, um, no, it's, it's, it's definitely helpful and I've spoken to some other uh, individuals, um, whether it be on the podcast or not. And then it's also like they would, maybe they went, you know, to a, to a different tradition to learn meditation, but sooner or later, something led them to back to their um, Jewish tradition. So it definitely shines light on how there's some uniqueness to not just the Jewish soul, but all of our souls. Well, one of my biggest questions I had internally over the past, um, I don't know how long, maybe coronavirus time, uh, was, you know, what really makes um, everybody unique and, you know, be growing up Jewish, there was that um, unique feeling, but uh, I was trying to understand how is it unique than other kind of backgrounds, but then the more and more I practiced meditation and also spoke with different individuals, there seemed to be a lot of correlation and similarity in experience um, with other fellow Jews that non-Jews weren't having. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's possible. Although I uh, personally, I tend to 
shy away from trying to make the unique Jewish experience something that's uh, social. Uh, meaning, you know, to verify the Jewishness of my experience by checking in by uh, with what other Jews are experiencing, and okay. and I'll t- and I'll tell you why, because once we head down that path, um, so then basically we've reduced this truth to a something that's uh, you know a cultural construct, and <clears throat> my claim that I'm making is a much bigger claim. Um, I'm saying that even a Jew who had no exposure to Judaism and therefore would have no reason to have any affinity to Judaism will find that the Jewish path is uniquely compatible with their growth. Interesting. There's one thing in um, I wanted to touch on about um, a little bit about addiction mm-hmm. and from God of Understanding. And I heard uh, you talk about on um, the Great Day po- podcast, um, a few, I think many months ago, but you mentioned something that really stuck out in how somebody could be using um you know holy kind of objects or holy things as also an addiction yeah i remember yeah i remember saying that and uh it it resonated a lot because i felt myself as well sometimes maybe i was treating you know putting on tefillin or praying or shabbat in that way and Mm -hmm. when i actually stepped back from it and approach changed the approach, then the, it the whole thing kind of changed. So, mm-hmm. could you could you talk how a little bit about, you know, differentiating that and differentiating you know an observant life, and following the different kind of customs and whatever, mm-hmm. with insulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, let me give a little context to the listeners. Yeah about, uh, you, you know, you, you paraphrased something that I said. <clears throat> I just want people to understand the context in which I said it. Thank you. I, I was, uh, someone asked me about addiction, like what, what can you become addicted to? I said anything. And then I think to make my point, I said you could become, you could take good things, beautiful things, holy things, and you could misappropriate those and turn them into addiction. And I said, addiction isn't about what, it's about why. You know, what are you trying to get out of this thing? How are you using it? What's your purpose? So I said, you know, something that you're using as an escape to avoid reality, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a drug. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a, it's a behavior. It's, that's, that's what makes it an addiction. At least it, it, again, I'm not here purporting to be giving anyone else's definition other than my own. Okay. This is. So um, I said, and so to, to make a point, I said, look, people could take a Torah study 
and they can turn that into an addiction. And that's not good. And I don't mean that in a good way. That's not, that's, that's actually a terrible thing. It's a misappropriation of Torah study to turn it into your, your, uh, your escape. Yeah. So just to speak a little bit more about that. Look, let me just speak anecdotally. I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not even interested in the numbers. This is, this is what I see to be true. We see all the time that people use religion in, a, in an unhealthy way. I mean, that's, that's just, that's, that's, that's a fact. Now, I know there are, there are, there are, there are those who will argue that uh, intrinsically all religion is unhealthy. And obviously, I don't believe that. As a religious person, I don't believe that. But I definitely believe that religion can be misused. And um, let's talk about you know, one, of the, one of the most common misuses, which is turning re- religion into another form of self-medication. I can't handle life, so I'm distracting myself through these beliefs, these rituals, right? I, I, I always look at it like this. I say, look, Torah, I, I'm not going to speak for other religions because, uh, frankly, I, I'm not interested. You know, I'm, I, don't, <laughs> I don't owe any other ideology, any allegiance to be its spokesperson, and I don't think they'd want me as their spokesperson. So I'll just say about Torah. God gave us the Torah as, as, as guidance how to live in his world. If you're using it for anything else than living in this world, <laughs> there's something fundamentally wrong. So if you're using it to get a feeling, that's not what it's for. If you're using it even to incur divine favor, you know, to make God like you, if that's what you think doing mitzvahs does, that's also not what it's for. Torah is so that we can live in this world. That's why Torah was given to souls in bodies down here in this world. In fact, that's why souls came to this world. So if it's not putting you into life, if it's not causing you to feel what's going on around you and, and, and be able to respond to what's happening in the world around you and to be able to connect with the people around you, then it's a fundamental misuse of the entire purpose for which Torah was given. Thank you. All right, Rabbi, I know we're um, cutting short a little on uh, time given our um, late start, but yeah. uh, thank, thank you for all that we've covered today. It may, maybe didn't have the most um, structure as far as hitting certain topics, but uh, I really appreciate you know, how we covered a lot about the, the Tanya and meditation and just being able to become familiar with oneself and to to make sure that we're approaching life and the things that we engage in in life a, in a wholesome way. Uh, yeah. to, to conclude, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, I first actually, I, I first got introduced to you 
um, not uh, speaking wise, but hearing you talk at the CYJP uh, Shabbaton a year ago, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then recently I, I finished listening to your series on the essence of Hasidus, uh, which was great. So thank you for doing that. Um, could you touch on just to give our listeners, um, you know, what you're doing with soul words and the different series you have on there and uh, where people can, can learn more about you and what you're doing. Oh, wow. Thank you. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned soul words. Um, soul words is the name of, uh, my website, soulwords.org, but um, it's basically, that's, that's how I define my, my job as well. Remember, we started, this is how we started off talking. We were saying language, right? It's all about language. So soul means, you know, the, the abstract, the ideas. Words are the containers. Uh, yeah. How to, uh... yeah. So the, a, a word is, is by definition something that defines no, but I when see. you define something, you limit it. But by limiting it, you release it. And if you, if you refuse to, to limit the idea, so it means everything, then it means nothing. So soul words is basically that, that nexus between the ethereal idea and the you know, articulation, choosing a way of saying it. And once I've chosen one way of saying it, I've, ne I've neglected all the other ways I could have said it. Yeah. And that's self-limiting. But the self-limitation is itself, you know, self-expressive. That's yeah. the irony of it. So that's what Soul Words is about. And basically, I take all my different content that I'm putting out there. And there's lots of different types of content. There's text-based Torah study, like you're talking about on the essence of Chassidus, uh, or Tanya, <laughs> or Havshara Betochen. Uh, which is a medieval treatise on, on trust in God. And then I have all types of other things. Like uh, we had a webinar a few weeks ago about how to answer people's questions. It was a two-part webinar. And we just talked about what do you do when somebody comes to you and they're confused and how do you help talk somebody to a point of clarity? Okay, so I have stuff like that. Um, you go check it out. I mean, it's, it's pretty well organized. Uh, as far as the styles of classes, there's everything, everything there that I'm interested. Basically, what it is, it's one guy, me, and all the stuff that I find interesting, and just thrown out there, but organized. So when you figure out what kind of stuff that I like, you also like, you'll be able to find it. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Yeah. Awesome. I like where you. I, I like the explanation of soul words it didn't uh, it didn't click yet that and, and like it was just talked about in one of the what's the um there's a whole discourse on uh from the parsha of Bashalach when when the jews went through the parting of the sea and how you know we say pretty much every day uh it, the words are kind of like a horse and that it can it, it's a limitation but it can also take you further and faster than if you didn't have the words Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Awesome. Well, Rabbi, again, it's such a pleasure to to connect with you to to connect with all the information that you're pu putting through the medium of technology and getting the fortunate opportunity of hearing you last year before the coronavirus started in New York. Um, so thank you much, much, uh, many blessings and success as you continue. And God willing, I hope to meet you in person and spend a Shabbat or so something. Yeah, that'd be great.
Okay, fine. Let's 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 keep in touch. Thank you. Take care. Okay, be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.